Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Psalm. Hear now God's word to the choir master according to do not destroy a victim of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him and listen for the deliverance of the Lord. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they don't get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of deliverance. We thank you that when we cry out to you, that you incline your ear to us. We thank you that when we are crushed in spirit and brokenhearted, that you are nigh to us. We thank you that your angel encamps about those who fear you and delivers us. Father, we thank you now that you can call us into your presence and you have, not as strangers, not even as friends, but as sons and daughters of the King. We come now surrounded by our enemies all about us, but to see a table spread here before us to feast with our King, to hear your words, your directives, your encouragement, and to fellowship with one another, to lock arms and to be strengthened congregationally as we come now to worship the one true God. We thank you for calling us to be your own. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing.
as I read the text of my sermon, which is actually going to be the entire 34th Psalm. And then I'm going to preach through this one verse at a time. Hear God's Word. The Psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. And none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this word of comfort and encouragement to your saints. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us. That your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that I might say the words that you would have your people to hear this morning, Lord. I pray it in the name of Jesus, for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As I just said, the 34th Psalm is one of comfort and encouragement. If I ask for a show of hands, how many have needed a little bit of comfort or encouragement in the last week? I suspect most, maybe all the hands in the room would go up. If you're not familiar or you have, have not uh, remembered this particular story that's referenced in the title of the psalm, it talks about um, when David uh, changed his behavior before Abimelech. Now, if you go and read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, you'll see that the king named there is not Abimelech. The king is Achish. This might be a bit confusing to you, but I've read a number of different commentaries and people talking about this, and all seem to agree that the king's proper name was Achish. Abimelech was more of a title, like some of the kings would be called the Caesar or the Kaiser. And so that's what the Abimelech was, but the king's proper name was Achish. So if that's confusing to you as it might very well be he was the king of Gath and his name was Achish if you remember the story David had been was running from Saul for his life and he ended up in a nearby land in the land of of all things his enemies the Philistines and he's there in the land of Gath and he figures boy if this guy figures out that I'm King David and that I'm a threat to him I'm probably going to lose my life. So he pretends like he's a crazy man. He starts foaming at the mouth and acting wild. And finally, Achis says, what are you bringing this crazy guy to me for? Get him out of here. You know. So by that, by David's deceit, he's able to escape and preserve his life. And of course, later he returns to reign over all of Israel. Well, the 22nd Psalm is one of these acrostic or alphabetic Psalms. There are 22 verses. You may know there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So 
you go through the Hebrew alphabet, and each one of these begins with one of those letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are a number of these alphabetic or acrostic psalms, and this is one of them. So when we study through it, when we read through a psalm, it's different than reading through a historical story where there's a plot and there are characters, and, and you can kind of talk through what happens and why it happened. As I preach through this psalm, I, wanna, I just read through the whole thing, and now I want to kind of slow down and we want to first step back and say, what is the psalm overall trying to tell us? And then I want to go through and just kind of expositionally go through one verse at a time and look at what each verse of the psalm is trying to communicate to us. I think overall the psalm is telling us if you read through it and if you hear what I just read, you'll hear the word delivered at least four times. And other words like delivered, called out, plucked out, saved, rescued. It's a psalm of deliverance. It's about how the Lord is our deliverer. I looked up the words in my strong concordance, given that I'm not schooled in Hebrew. And um, the word is used four times, three times in verses 4, 17, and 19. It's one word. And then in verse 7, it's a different word, translated delivered. But in both cases, the word means snatched away, preserved, or snatched away and rescued, or providing a way of escape. So that's what the Lord is doing when, he, when, the, when the Bible says he delivers us. Um, that word in the, uh, in the New Testament, in the story that Jeff read for us about Peter, uh, really means largely the same thing. I think I wrote down what that means too, but it basically means preserving, delivering, to pull out of danger. So when you hear that story, I think you, I'm sure you've all heard that story before of Peter in prison. And the context there is Herod is this wicked tyrant um, King Herod, he has already taken John the Baptist. And you remember that story? He brought him in. He didn't want to kill him because the people really liked John the Baptist, but a member of his family tricked him, and he ended up beheading John the Baptist. Then, uh, as the reading said, he took James and had him killed. And then he says, hey, this is kind of fun. I like getting rid of these Christians. And so he goes after Peter. Peter is apprehended and arrested and brought and put in prison. So what do you suppose is going through Peter's head? I don't know, but I'm guessing he's thinking, this is probably my last night on earth. It's not looking promising. He's just been captured by this king and arrested and imprisoned by the king that's killing Christians left and right. <clears throat> Acts chapter 12, you just heard it, verse 11. Peter said, Now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me, has delivered me out of the hand of Herod. Okay, so let's, with that in mind that the song is about deliverance and rescue, let's, let's slow down and just walk through each verse and see what the psalm has to say to us. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Remember, David has just escaped from the, from the land of the Philistines by God's mercy. So the praise of God is not only in his heart, it's in his mouth. He says, I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Remember last week when I talked about spiritual warfare and prayer, and I said, we need to verbalize. It's one thing to think and to pray in your heart. It's another thing to verbalize to the Lord and speak with words what we want. It's also worthwhile, as David says here, when we feel thankful to the Lord, not just to feel praise to him and joy in our heart, but to to verbalize it, to speak it. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 2 says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. So David has really not much to boast about at this point. He's been driven out. His adversary is chasing him around. And what did he do to escape, humanly speaking? What did he just do? He lied. Right? I mean, he, he, he lived a lie. He pretended he was something that he wasn't. Um, there's no question it was deceit. Now, you might say, well, that was righteous deceit. He's trying to save his life. You know, the fact is that he, he deceived the king. He lied to King Achish in his behavior. So I don't think David here is boasting in his own behavior. What he's boasting in is the Lord. What His own behavior is lamentable. He ought to be lamenting his own behavior but he's saying, despite the situation I got in, the Lord used it, and the Lord delivered me. When he says the humble shall hear thereof and be glad, I think what we're seeing there is 
David wants the joy of his heart to be an encouragement to his fellow countrymen. He's saying, look what the Lord did for me. Therefore, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. All the rest of the people who fear God should hear this and say, wow, look what God did for him. It should be an encouragement to them. So he breaks out with, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So what does magnify mean? To make bigger, right? You've all used a magnifying glass. When we say magnify the Lord, can we make the Lord any bigger? What is David saying here? We obviously cannot make the Lord bigger or anything different than what he is. But I think what he's saying is, when we are humbled, when we're in a situation where it looks like there's nothing I can do to get out of this, and then we get out of it, all we can say is, look how small I was, and look how magnificent God is. The more we are humbled and made small, the more we, quote, magnify the Lord, the more we shine light almost on his goodness and his bigness. And he says, let us exalt his name, in verse 3, together. So this isn't just David saying, woo-hoo for me, look how good God has been to me. God's praises always sound best, what, congregationally, right? This is why we gather to worship. Aren't you full of joy sometimes just to sing? And sometimes I kind of sing quieter. A, I'm a bad singer, and Marie's right behind me usually, so I can hear good singing behind me. But it's nice to hear the other Voices. I remember when we first came to visit this church, we were meeting down at the bottom of the hill in Harrisburg there. And um, when we left there, Kirsten and I got in the car. It's our first time visiting the church. We had met the Robinettes. And, you know, we had that talk, what'd you think? And I said, well, pretty different. But I said, the one thing that I really remember is them singing the doxology. I've never heard anything like that. Four-part harmony, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I remember sitting there just... Or standing there, hearing that music around me and thinking, these people love God. This is beautiful music. Listen to how they're worshiping God. So it's one thing to have it well up in your own heart. It's another thing to be with God's people. I was talking to the goldsmiths at the Lord's table a couple weeks ago, and I said, do you ever think of what people are missing by not coming to church, by not being part of a congregation? I've had a couple of conversations recently with unchurched people Christians that say, I'm, I'm a Christian, I just, I'm not into church. And I pity these poor people that don't get to come and feast with the Lord and put their arms around their brothers and sisters and say, isn't it good to be feasting at the table of our king? You ever think, what would happen if that were taken away? God forbid, if you were excommunicated and you weren't allowed to come to the table. I hope and pray that that would do what it's supposed to do, which is to devastate us and to grieve our hearts and say what has happened to me that I'm put out of the people of God I would do anything to come back and have it be like it was you know most people don't have a church like we have here even those that do go to church and I'm not disparaging other churches there are many good ones but many many Christians have just given up or they go to church and it's it's pretty weak and there's almost no fellowship and no encouragement So we should pray for them, but we should be thankful that we can say with David, magnify the Lord with me. Hey, everybody, think about this. Look at what we have. Look how good he is. Let's exalt his name together. Let's do it together. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Here's the first time we hear he delivered me. So David teaches us that we can seek the Lord even when we sinned. David has just sinned here, and I think he knows it. He's like, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have been in that situation. What I did there wasn't right. But still, I can seek the Lord. I have a heart to please the Lord. I know what I did was wrong. So sometimes when we sin, that's when we're least inclined to go seek the Lord. We kind of want to do what Adam and Eve did, right? And, you know, maybe if I go over here, God won't know where I am. I mean, we laugh at that, but that's what we actually think. We go, maybe if I'm under the blanket or my quilt or in the closet... Or going over there, you know, Jonah gets on the ship, I'll go to Tarshish. God won't know I'm over there. You know, how foolish. So even when we have sinned, we can seek God. David has always found God to be a hearer of his prayers. Pastor Robinette says it every Sunday. We pray because God hears us. And so David is seeking him. This is one of the comforts of all the saints, that God is ready to hear us. That should be a great comfort to us. We're reading, um, uh, we're reading yet another Douglas Bond book in our house. 
um, hostage land that takes place during the time of Marcus Aurelius, back a couple hundred years after Christ. He's talking about the Romans. And, uh, you know, the Romans prayed to these gods. The Greeks did it too. All the false religions have done it. The worshipers of Baal, they pray to these gods, and then they kind of like wait and go, I wonder if he heard me. I wonder if I didn't put enough incense on the altar or whatever. And they do these crazy things. Remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? He's like, I tell you what, you guys come and scream to your God and see if he'll come down and burn up the, the offering. And then he says, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he didn't hear you. Yell louder. It's a joke what people do. They're screaming and crying out to these gods that are made of wood and stone. And surprise, their gods don't answer them. There's no one there. Right? What a great comfort to us. Our God is not like that. Now, sometimes we pray and his answer doesn't come right away or it doesn't come in the way we thought, but he always hears us and he always answers us. That should be incredibly comforting to us. Think of the alternative. If the alternative was like these Romans or these Greeks where you pray to Jupiter and you go, man, I hope Jupiter's paying attention today. I hope his favor is on me today. We are followers of Christ. We're children of the living God. And when we pray, we have comfort. He will hear us. And this is what David is saying. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5, they looked unto him and were lightened. One translation, translation says they were radiant. Laura sent me a snapshot of her whiteboard today where she had this verse written. They've been reading this psalm over the last few weeks in their home. So good to hear that. Their faces were not ashamed. They were radiant when they looked unto him. So David was a powerful man, but now this isn't talking about David. This is talking about these other saints. His case was not special or particular. Many have looked to the Lord in prayer, and their faces have been lightened. Here's one example that came to my mind right away. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, do you remember the story of Hannah and her husband Elkanah? They have no children. Excuse me, she's praying. She goes to the temple, and Elkanah keeps saying, Am I not? Here's a good thing. Husbands, don't ever say this one. Am I not good enough for you? Is this not enough right here? You know, you actually, you need more than this. Well, Elkanah tried that and Hannah said, you just don't get it. I want a son. If I would have a son, I would give him to the Lord. So she goes and prays and Eli sees her praying. Remember, he thinks she's drunk. She's over there mumbling and she comes and says, no, no, no. I've been praying for a son. And Eli tells her, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. <clears throat> And the next thing we hear in the story is, then the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no longer sad. This is what David's talking about. They looked to him and their countenance was radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. Isn't that a beautiful story? It doesn't just say she felt better. It says she went away and she ate. I like that part. She went away and did eat, and her countenance was no longer sad. Later in the story, when she has a son, she does something very important. She goes back. As her prayer has been answered, she goes back to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Like, remember me? For this child, she now brings the boy Samuel. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. That's what she promised that she would do. She says, as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. So when we pray and our faces are enlightened, we should go tell people. Now contrast this with the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Remember when we read the Christmas narrative, we read about the angel coming to Mary. The angel, the angel also goes to Zacharias. They too have been praying for a son, and they are advanced in years, and they have no children. And what happens? He's in the temple, and an angel, not just any old angel, I mean, any old angel would be pretty amazing, but the angel Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of God, the angel Gabriel comes. Zacharias has been praying for a son. That's an important part of the story. The angel comes to him and says, I'm an angel of God. I've come with a message for you. Your prayer has been heard. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now that enough should be enough said. Your prayer has been heard. 
And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Zacharias' face should have been radiant. Instead, he says, I'm not buying this. Translation, you know. He says, I, how can this be? I mean, we're old, you know, blah, blah. He knows they're old. They've been praying. And the angel of God comes and says, your prayer has been heard. And then in case he doesn't know which prayer he's talking about, he says, you've been praying for a son. You and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And he's going to be named John. Yeah, I don't know. And we laugh at people in the Bible, but we do the exact same thing. Is not God omnipotent? Is he not all-powerful? You go, well, this was kind of a stretch. Yeah, that's the whole point. They were advanced in years. They weren't supposed to be having children. Neither were Abraham and Sarah. But when God comes and answers, can God answer prayers that are really, really hard? Becky and I were talking about this just the other day at the orchestra over here. We should have been being quiet, but we were over here chatting. I'm not rebuking you, Becky. I was talking just the same. But we got talking about these things that are hard, that's where God is really, that's where he specializes. Any of us, you know, Dad, can I have a piece of toast? Yeah, I'll get you a piece of toast. I can handle that. It doesn't take God to do that. But when we're in these impossible situations, God can answer our prayer. Let's, not, let's be like Hannah, where our faces are enlightened and not be like Zacharias. Yeah, I don't know. I know I've been praying for this. I know the angel of God is telling me. I still don't believe it. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. To be heard is to be delivered. If we know God hears us, that's enough. The Lord has heard your prayer. Okay, that's all I need. It's not like, you know, I sent a message to the commander or to the president, like I wonder what this guy's going to do. If God hears us, done. Our prayer has been heard. We're going to be delivered. I was down visiting my friend Craig, my neighbor. A lot of you have asked about him, and I thank you for continuing to pray for him. Uh, they have basically given up on any treatment for him, and so I think he's in his last days. I, he's down in Washington Courthouse. I went down yesterday, prayed with him again, uh, read some scripture to him. I read him the 34th Psalm, and I stopped halfway through when I said, the Lord delivers them out of their trouble. And I looked at him and I said, your deliverance may be just being taken out of this world of sin and misery. Sometimes people say, well, I guess that Christian didn't get delivered, that God didn't make him well. Wouldn't you rather be taken out of this world than taken to be with the Lord in glory? And I looked at him and I said, I think that's where you're going, brother. He was having a hard time communicating, but I asked him, is there anything I can do for you? And his, his, his brain is kind of fading and he's having a hard time talking, but he got, the only time I talked to him, he smiled. He got a little smile on his face and he said something. It sounded like he said, you saved me. And I leaned in and I said, what did you say? And he said, you saved me. And if he was thinking right, and if he was saying what I think he was saying, he's saying, you don't have to do anything else. You brought me to the Lord. So I kind of laughed and I said, Craig, I didn't do anything to save you. Let's get this clear. If you're saved, the Lord has saved you. I'm just telling you about it. But I said, I'm glad to be here to tell you about it. And so I prayed with him again. I had read him the story of uh, Lazarus and Jesus is the resurrection and the life where it says, even he that should die, he surely shall live. And then after he told me that I had saved him, I said, I'm going to read you the 34th Psalm and took him back to that. So sometimes we're delivered out of our troubles in ways we don't anticipate. You say, we prayed for him to be well, and maybe he'll get something even better. In a way, is that good to be like, now you're well and you get to stay in this miserable body, in this place of sin and misery? Wouldn't you rather just be taken home? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him and delivers them. Here's another deliverance. Now, I've said this before, but I want to say it again about angels. I was in Hobby Lobby this week. I like Hobby Lobby. It's owned by Christian. I wasn't there by myself. I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know. I was, I was delivering daughters, you know, to go shopping for something. But while I'm at Hobby Lobby, you always see angels there, right? Beautiful pictures of little flittering females with wings and the precious moments figurines and captions of Scripture. The angel of the Lord encampeth. I'm sorry for people that like precious moments figurines. I'm sorry for people that like angel pictures in Hobby Lobby. But that's not what angels are like at all. Uh... Derek read for us Isaiah 37. 
this powerful king Sennacherib is coming with all these troops to descend on Hezekiah. He's been mocking God. He's been blaspheming God. And the Lord says, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the narrative goes on to say, And the angel of the Lord went out. Remember, the angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him, and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. I'd like to see that at Hobby Lobby. A picture with 185,000 dead guys and the angel of the Lord with the sword. That's what the angel of the Lord does. That's why whenever an angel shows up, people don't go, oh, aren't you cute? They're, they're terrified and they fall on their faces. Grown men and warriors on their faces trembling, which is why the angels almost always start by saying, don't be afraid. The angel told Gabriel, I mean, Gabriel told Zechariah, don't be afraid. It's the first thing he said. The angel came to Mary, don't be afraid because they're so terrifying. They can cut down 185,000 people. That's a good angel story. <laughs> so God's angels protect us from the power of darkness. I talked about this last week. The, the spiritual forces, the principalities and powers. It's not just bad demons floating around. There are angels that we cannot see that are protecting us. You ever think of how many times you're protected? You almost get in an accident. You almost get hurt. Someone almost breaks into your house and you hear the story and you go, huh, that's funny. Dodge the bullet, I guess. Let's start speaking and saying, Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivers them. Amen? Verse 8, what could you say next except, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. So only those that trust in the Lord, only those that test Him. You know, it's okay to test God. Do you give your tithes and offerings when money's tight? Test God. And then taste and see that the Lord is good. You're walking into a scary situation where you don't know what's going to happen, but you feel like the Lord's called you to do it. Do it. Test the Lord. And taste and see that He's good. Verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. And the next verse says, the, the young lions lack, they have want, they lack for things, and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. We're going to talk about what this means to fear the Lord, because David instructs us in it in a couple verses later. <clears throat> so that, that's the first ten verses, that's kind of the first half of the psalm. And now David turns his attention to doing some more instruction. In the midst of warfare, in the midst of coming out of this narrow escape, he's a warrior, he's a king, and yet he takes time to instruct, apparently, the children. Sometimes the Bible, the disciple John will say little children, but he might be talking to adults. But here I think David is actually talking to children as he writes this song. Come ye children, hearken unto me. Children, listen to me. So I'll say to the children of Foundation Church, listen. Hear what King David had to say to you. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, if you children, especially you boys in the church, if you could sit with King David, what would you want him to teach you? He could teach you how to play music. We have some musicians in the church. David was an unbelievable musician. He could calm the troubled heart of King Saul. David could wrestle with lions. Curtis, what do you think? You've taken down a few deer in your day. How'd you like to learn how to wrestle a lion and win? David did it. If Steve was here, we already know Steve can wrestle bears because we've heard those. That ends up in the slideshow every year. But David wrestled a bear and he won. A bear that was trying to attack his lamb. And best of all, guys, Valiant, what did David do to Goliath? Remember? What did he kill him with? What weapon did he use? A slingshot. Oh, wouldn't it have been cool if David said, Come, ye children, I will instruct thee in the ways of the slingshot. Oh, you would have had the attention of all the young men of Israel there. But David doesn't go with any of those. He says, I'm going to teach you what's really important. The fear of the Lord. 
you know, we, we've made some changes in what we do after church, and I'm not digressing here, because we had a lot of chaos when all the children of the church were inside, especially in the winter, and uh, we all got together and said, this is not good. It's kind of crazy, and people are getting hurt. The Cusel children are drinking out of the water faucet in there, out of the, you know, five-gallon water tank. We've got we've to have some more order here. This is the Lord's Day. We should be doing things to to help the children, to lead them in the way, to teach them the fear of the Lord. And so that's part of what's behind. Part of it's just order and not having chaos, but part of it is, Spurgeon said, when they, he talked about teaching children, he said, we must get them away, apart from toys and sports, and try to occupy their minds with better pursuits. Now, I'm not against when the weather's good, having the kids go out and run around and throw the ball, that's fine. But on the Lord's Day, isn't it good to gather and say, let's spend a little more time learning the fear of the Lord. Isn't that a good thing, a glorious thing? Verse 12 says, What man is there, what man is he that desires life and loveth many days that he may see good? And verse 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. You know, in the book of James, he talks about the tongue being a world of evil among the parts of the body. That it's full of deadly poison. It's an unruly evil. So David's instructing us, you want to fear the Lord? Be careful of what you say. Be careful what's coming out of your mouth. And remember, he had just told a lie. So it says, keep your lips from speaking guile. That means keep your lips from speaking deceit, from lying. Quite possibly, he's looking back saying, what I just did is not good. That's not the way to fear God, is to lie and hope that's going to get you out of things. I think he's showing repentance here and saying, don't do what I did. He follows that with, depart from evil and do good, in verse 14, and seek peace and pursue it. So it's not enough to just walk away from the evil. We should be intentionally seeking peace. There's an application here in the church. I think our church is very good at this, but it's always worth reminding us to say, We should be looking for ways intentionally, purposefully, to seek peace and to be a peacemaker. As godly as we all are, we still get on each other's nerves sometimes. Amen? Don't raise your hand and don't point. But there's people that, it's happened to me, you go, what's wrong with that person? Why do they do that? Why are they that way? I know you've never thought this about me. It's only one way. I think this about some of you sometimes. And I go, what is wrong with them? When we're thinking that, the thing to do is to be intentional and say, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to do good. Instead of getting angry and getting vengeful, how can I forbear? How can I forgive? How can I see the best? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading wrong motives into what they did or what they said. So when those things well up in you and you've got aught in your heart against someone, especially someone in the body of Christ in our local church, be intentional about saying, I'm going to do what David said. I'm going to seek peace. Not just walk away from the evil, but do something on purpose to go and be a peacemaker and to not be contentious. There's part of me, I had this gene that's uh, a contentious gene. I think I inherited it from a great-grandfather or something. I'm joking around. It's not a gene. It's a sin. But there's part of me that just likes to, when there's a little altercation, to kind of give one more jab and like just show them that I'm right and I can prove it. That's being contentious. That's not seeking peace. The last few verses of the psalm are about God's favor to the righteous and his displeasure to the wicked. We see this all throughout the Bible. It's in Deuteronomy very clearly. The people that obey God, he's going to bless them. The people that disobey God are going to bring his curse upon them. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Now you fathers and mothers, when you hear the cry of your baby, especially in the middle of the night, is that a lovely sound? I mean, you might say, oh, it's lovely motherhood. No, not really. It's a yucky sound, right? The crying, the screaming. I heard it two weeks ago when one of my young daughters had thrown up in her bed and her other daughter came and said, she's crying, she threw up in her bed. I'm like, oh, that's the sound I least want to hear. But, you know, as a parent, what do we do? We love our children, whether they've thrown up or they're just crying or they had a bad dream, and we run to them. My child needs me. So when God hears our cry, he's not going, oh, what a beautiful sound. But it's beautiful to him and that he's our father. And he's going to come and he's going to answer our cry. His ear is going to be bent to us. He's not slow to answer. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil 
to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Now he hears their cry too, the evil, but he doesn't run to them to comfort them like he does us. He runs to them to destroy them and to thwart them. They're crying out. He's like, yeah, okay, I hear you. It says the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Their posterity is cut off. So many times you hear stories of wicked people that their family line just ends. It's no more. Their names are forgotten. They become, they go into oblivion. But the righteous cry, verse 17 says, and the Lord hears, and again, he delivers them out of all their troubles. Our problems and afflictions seem so numerous and so complicated sometimes. I can speak to my own situation because I know it best, but we all have these. The situation in our house is in many ways very difficult right now since I lost Kirsten. Can you imagine being in a home with all these children and one parent? I mean, it's difficult. I'm lonely. I had a, a wonderful wife. I don't have a wife. I wake up every day with no wife. My children wake up every day with no mother. I don't mean to belabor this, but like that's a very, very difficult situation. And you think, who's going to come along? Humanly speaking, it seems almost impossible that a woman would come along that would want to marry a 55-year-old guy with nine children, some of them very young, an elder of a church. That's, it seems like this probably isn't going to happen. Maybe we're just in this situation indefinitely, forever. But you know what? God, we were talking about this too, God can answer that kind of prayer. You know, I can go on Reformed Elder, LonelyReformedElder.com and look for people. And <laughs> there's going to be a million candidates when you type in my criteria and they see my bio, it's going to narrow down to like six people. And, uh, you know, probably they're all in Myanmar. Um, so pray for us. This is a difficult situation. But you know what? Every family has this. My situation's kind of like the train wreck, I think. And I don't mean to be... It just is. Like, it's so horrible. You think, I don't want to look, but you can't help it. How awful. But not all situations that are complicated and difficult are that awful. I thought about the goldsmiths raising four daughters. When you had four daughters, I bet people came to you and they're like, wow, four daughters. And then you have Patrick, Grant, and Tanner. And you're like, wow, we added them all at once. Help me, Lord, right? And then you got Luke. And you're like, ah, help me, Lord. I'm crying out in my distress. And then you have Shailen. I mean, can you imagine? None of us have really been, well, the Robinettes have, but to be in a situation where children are coming into your home like that, that's, that had to be an unbelievable transition for everybody. And then mom gets sick. And at some point you have to think, what next? Like, what else is going to get piled on top of this? But God specializes in when we cry out in these situations, he hears our affliction. The Robinette story has been chronicled many times. Andrea, I don't even, people ask me how you're doing, and I'm like, I don't even know how to start answering that question. Because there's so many, they're like, what's wrong with her? And I go, I don't, I can tell you a few things. I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting. And then your husband leaves for two and a half weeks and takes your four older children with you. <laughs> I've not been in your home, but I've got to believe there's times when you're kind of feeling like, help. Right? I think of our brother Jason, who last week again came, then he had to run out, go home and deal with something, and then he came back. Imagine his grandfather, his father figure, he loses his grandfather few years back. Then he loses his only sibling, his beloved sister Patty. Then he's got his mom with her leg amputated and his grandmother with dementia. He's dealing with all these things. How does that guy not just crumble under the weight of that? But when he cries out to the Lord, clearly the Lord hears him and says, I see the situation you're in. I know the situation you're in. <clears throat> I was thinking about Benita last week when you had your migraine, Benita. So she's got a migraine headache, not just one, but these come fairly frequently, and you've got problems with your feet, and your basement's flooding, and you're trying to get that taken care of, and you've you got then the roof thing, and at some point you've got to go, what next, you know? 
help me, Lord. I could go through the whole church. We've all got these, right? And I don't even know probably half of the things. But he answers and delivers us. And when he does, we need to give thanks. When these prayers are answered, we need to come and not just say, thank you, Lord, but tell everybody. Wait till you hear what God did. This is a situation I was in. It looked impossible. And yet here's what God did. We need to be like Hannah. Not my beloved daughter, Hannah. Although I'm sure she does this too. Afflictions are actually a blessing because they make us pray. Many of us would not pray as fervently if we didn't have these afflictions. All right, I'm wrapping up. Verse 18. The Lord is nigh. He is near unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Sometimes it says a crushed spirit. Anybody ever feel like your spirit has been crushed? When God seems far away from the brokenhearted, that's actually when he's most near. The Bible story that occurred to me on this one was Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. You remember the story? They realize their brother's sick, and what's the first thing they say? Let's get Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. He's what? He's far away. Normally he would come, but he's far away, so they send a messenger. In their brokenheartedness, watching their brother die, they're lamenting, oh, God is far away. The truth is, Jesus knew what was going on. They came and told him, Lazarus is sick. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm going to wait a couple days. Watch what I'm going to do. What a great reminder that at the time when it seems like, just when I need him, I know he can do it. We believe God can do it. We believe he can answer our prayer, but wouldn't you know it? The time we need him most, nowhere to be seen. I think he's far away. Those times when he seems farthest away, Mary and Martha learned he's actually very near. He came, he wept. They both said, oh, if only you would have been here. And Jesus said, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe your brother's going to rise again? Oh, yeah, I know at the resurrection he's going to rise again. And Jesus said, watch what I'm going to do. Okay, verse 19, many are the afflictions, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, here it is again, the Lord delivereth him out of them all. What's the key word in this verse? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. But comes from the Greek word, which means forget everything I just said. When you hear but, right, don't ever do the apology. Hey, I'm really sorry for what I did, but... As soon as you say but, you're saying forget everything I just said and now I'm going to tell you why I was justified in doing what I did. But here, but is a wonderful word. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. The, one, the Lord that sends the trial is the Lord that's going to rescue us from it. When his, when his mission is accomplished, when the, when the affliction does what it was sent to do, he will remove the affliction. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This image of Christ on the cross where they normally break the legs of the crucifixion victim so that they'll, they can't prop themselves up and they die sooner, they didn't break his bones. Now, it's, this isn't taken literally to say no righteous person ever has broken bones. I've had a few broken bones in my day. Um, which, and I, obviously I'm very righteous. But this is saying Christ is a type here. He's a picture of saying that we're going to be protected from injury that would do us eternal harm. We're going to be protected in that special way that our bones won't be broken. Finally, he says, Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeems the souls of his servants, and none of them, the psalm ends, none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Wickedness in the Bible is often its own executioner. Remember the story of Haman and Mordecai? Haman hates Mordecai. Haman is this wicked guy. And he finds out that, that Mordecai won't bow down to him because Mordecai is a Jew. So Haman says, we're going to build a gallows 75 feet high and we're going to hang Mordecai on that. And then later the king finds out that Haman has done something wicked and Mordecai has done something to save the king's life. And he says, hey, those gallows that Haman built, let's hang him on those gallows. His own wickedness comes back to hang him. We will never be comfortless because we'll never be forsaken or cut off from communion with God. 
So in conclusion, when you're crushed in spirit, when you've fallen into a pit from which there appears to be no possible escape, or you think maybe you're the poster child for many are the afflictions of the righteous, I pray that you will read and meditate on the 34th Psalm, that it will remind you that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, that the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him, that the afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Drink in the 34th Psalm and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this portion of your word that is so encouraging to us, such a comfort to us. I pray that, Lord, from now on when we're in these moments, when we're crying out to you, that we would run to this psalm, that it would be one of the tools in our, in our toolbox, one of these spiritual weapons we have, the sword of the Spirit, your word, that we would go to this portion of your word and open the 34th psalm and say, here was David recently rescued out of an impossible situation and that we'll be reminded that you are God omnipotent, almighty, the all-powerful creator who can and will rescue us out of our affliction when your purpose for it is done. We thank you for your goodness to us, your kindness, your mercy, and for being near to the brokenhearted and for delivering us out of our afflictions. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.